Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. All of our listeners know that we have been spending quite a bit of time thinking about Israel's future. What recent events and recent months have meant for the fabric of Israeli society, where these recent events came from, where we're headed, and so forth. Not that long ago, I had occasion to learn about a fascinating organization, which is relatively new in Israel, uh, run by a person who I've known actually for many years in different contexts. The name of the organization is The Fourth Quarter, and the person who runs it is Yoav Heller. And the idea here is actually to uh, help Israel prepare itself to move into the fourth quarter without making some of the mistakes that other countries, organizations, businesses, etc. have made. And Yoav will explain to us why the fourth quarter is a particularly fraught period of time, especially for countries. Those of us who have been, those of you who have been reading and, and listening to our podcasts for a while know that we've spoken a lot about how the first, first commonwealth after King Solomon basically collapsed after 73 years. Uh, the second commonwealth in the time of Shlom Tzion, the queen, collapsed after 74 years, and we're now on our 75th. So someone who knows Jewish history has to be a little bit worried about what's happening in the third commonwealth, especially in light of what's going on now. And the fourth quarter, under the direction and vision of Yoav Heller, understood this before we had the current crisis. I heard Yoav speak at a Globes conference um, uh, before the fifth elections, and he was already speaking about some of the things that we are facing so I wanted to meet up with him, have you learn a little bit about his actually already extraordinary career, to learn about the organization called The Fourth Quarter, and most importantly, to hear how Yoav and his colleagues think Israel can fix what's broken and move on to an even brighter future. So Yoav, first of all, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're crazy busy. I can see it in your office. People are running around doing all kinds of things, so I really appreciate the time. Thank you for hosting me, Dan. Tell us a bit about yourself. How did we get to this point? Yoav Heller starts where, ends up here, how? Myself. I, I will just say that I think one sentence about my childhood, which actually formed the way I look at Israeli society. I uh, grew up in very diverse uh, uh, backgrounds. Most of my childhood was in a very small place in Israel called Menachemia, which is uh, a, in the far north, in the deep Israeli periphery. And from there, I always dreamed on how, how can we connect uh, between the Israeli periphery, the Israeli center. That was my state of mind. I was a few years in the special forces in the Israeli army. I was a journalist for a few years. Uh, I left journalism because as a platoon commander in the reserve army, I lost my best friend in, uh, in battle. And I lost another five people who were under my uh, responsibility. And I decided that I have to 
uh, leave journalism and go to work on the Israeli society. I was uh, seven years. I worked in the Branko Weiss Institute in the field of education. Then I flew with my family to London. I, uh, I'm an historian. You'll see everything I think through the, is through the lens of uh, history. I'm a historian of the Holocaust. And then I ran uh, for seven years. Uh, I was the CEO of uh, Maoz, organization that works and uh, established a very uh, big and uh, a significant network of leaders, cross-sector leaders in Israel that uh, we aim to uh, actually improve outcomes of uh, Israeli civic uh, society and Israeli government. And a year and two months ago, during the Bennett administration, uh, I left Maoz and we established four friends, the fourth quarter, I'm the chairman of the fourth quarter. I don't work in the fourth quarter, but I dedicate my life to the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm also the chairman of the Israeli National Sports Institute in uh, Wingate. I live in Tel Aviv, married plus two. That's me. Okay, so a platoon commander, a historian of the Holocaust, a journalist, a uh, former head of Maoz, the head of the Sports Institute, and one of the visionaries behind fourth quarter. Fourth quarter has a diagnosis, right? It looks, at, it looks at the history of other countries, it looks at Israel's history, and it says, as you have said in many different settings, Israel is at its finest moment ever, and Israel is at its most potentially precipitously dangerous moment ever. Explain both of those claims. Absolutely. I think we need to uh, tackle the, uh, the problem definition from two angles. But I do want to insist, I know you, you said that, it's not only that we diagnosed this before the elections, we diagnosed this before the ben before during the Bennett administration. Why is it important? First of all, you'll see in a moment we're a grassroots movement, and our accountability now in Israel is built upon the fact that we said this in one political environment, then in the second political environment. So that's very important. Meaning you're saying the same thing to everybody, not saying something Ab specific to each absolutely. audience. Absolutely, and also our message to, to people is let's rise a little bit beyond what we see as the concrete problem, and let's look at the historical pers perspective and uh, the two angles that we bring to, uh, uh, to the problem definition. One is the notion of the fourth quarter. As you said, twice in Israeli history, it did not succeed in the fourth quarter between 75 and 100. And actually, we need to see a little bit deeper the phenomenon there. It was in the Solomon uh, uh, era and also in the Hasmonites. It was prosperity. It was under the prosperity was hidden the social fabric that was actually very fragile. And then there came the collapse. So prosperity, social fabric is fragile and collapse. But we saw it's not all, only in, uh, in uh, Israeli history. We saw it in... Well, really Jewish history, right? Jewish I mean, history, <laughs> yeah, actually. Tens of, of states in the past uh, uh, were, uh, were in this situation. You know, most, most known is the United States of America. It also happened in the fourth quarter. Right, the, the Civil War is civil what war, happened in the, the fourth civil quarter. War. What happens in the fourth quarter, so we said, if so many countries were almost at civil war or in civil war in the fourth quarter, this needs to be diagnosed. And what we saw is the following phenomenon, that the first generation actually establishes the revolution. The second creates the infrastructure. The third that we're finishing right now, actually, if the country is successful, creates the scale. And I think this is a wonderful country and the scale here is, is amazing. And in the fourth generation, there are two processes that happen that I think are universal and they will come. The crisis will come. Now it puts you in a crossroad. You could actually manage it. 
and renew yourself or you could collapse. And what, what are those two crises? Yeah, two things. One is a battle between an old elite and a new elite. It means that there is an elite that came from the establishing uh, uh, group and that elite in its perception is now, is now in a regression of power, which actually they're right, but on the other hand, they still have a lot of strongholds in Israeli society or in other countries, in the judiciary system, in the business system, in the special units. And, and academia. In sure. academia. So on the one hand... So that elite, just to make everybody clear, that elite is the secular European Ashkenazi Ben-Gurion yeah. and his yeah. descendants, and they, who in 1949 got 46 seats in the Knesset, and according to recent polls, if they were to run now, would get zero seats in the Knesset. Yeah, that, but that's the labor. I would right, say... But, but even so, the, the left in general... Or but that the sociological secular, group, I think, is still worth 35, 40, uh, 40 percent mandates. Percent of the society, right. Yes, and... It's important to analyze their perception because on the one hand, they're right, they're in regression, they contribute a lot to the state, but on the other, their victimhood is, I think it's also false because as I say, they have a lot of strongholds in elite. Then comes the new elite. Who's the new elite? So the new elite is a, a bunch of groups, that's the ultra-orthodox, that's the uh, Masorti or the traditional Sephardic Likud supporters, let's call him, from the periphery, from the... Second uh, belt of uh, uh, Gush Dan, of uh, Israeli center, Hulon, Batyam, the new middle class. How are they elite? In what way are they elite? And that, so that's what I will say. On the one hand, their perception is, we're not an elite. We're victims of the situation. We're becoming the majority, and we don't have any social capital, political capital, financial capital. So one, what do they say to the old elite? You better share it with us, or we'll take it violently. So on the one hand, the right, their uh, presence in the Israeli, and by the way, it's also the religion of Zionist group, their presence in the Israeli public sphere is not in a proportion to what to their size. What percentage do you think they of our Israeli society? Okay, so here it's interesting. It's what they're today and what they will be. I think today they're probably 50%, not more than 50%, okay. which is significant. Which because makes up Haredim and Mizrahim, Mizrahim and, and, and Ashkenazi religious Zionists. Yes. Okay. But they will be more. Now, so they're right. They do not get their share. On the other hand, where are they wrong? They're, once again, like the first group, their perception of victimhood is exaggerated because they have a lot of political power. A new middle class evolved. A new class of political, let's say, Askanim, I don't know how to call it. Oh, business uh, people. Uh, yeah, there are, in, by the way, in the new unions. Unions today in Israel are a lot made of these people. So they, they possess a lot of power in Israeli governmental offices and so on. So their perception is right, but also it's dangerous because they have much more power. So what happens in the fourth quarter? You have groups that all feel as victims, all feel that they're losing, Nobody's taking responsibility. And when the clash happens, people will ask themselves, who's going to take responsibility of the situation if everybody's victims? Is this clash that we're, is, it what, we're in, is what we're in now? Exactly this what's in now. Why people say, what, you, are you guys prophets? We said, we're not prophets. We just saw in history, that's what happens. And you know, one of our uh, practices is we tour Israel. I did one yesterday, my 187th parlor. And we go to saloons, to houses of people. We get hosted in all political backgrounds. Yesterday I was with 45 people from Ganei Tal, all Likud 
and Tsiyonu Datit supporters. Tsiyonu Datit is the national religious. Yes. And you can see they actually are feeling, they feel that they're losing everything. And then I come to Tel Aviv and they're feeling they're losing everything. And I tell people, look. Everybody can't be losing everything. <laughs> and, and if that's the perception, then we're in a big problem because nobody will take responsibility on the rebuilding. So actually, that's the phenomenon in the fourth quarter. And I will add another angle to the phenomenon of the fourth quarter before I go to the global phenomenon that I think is affecting us, is that we, have a, we are afar from the ideas, well, in years, many years passed from the ideas of the establishing clan of Israel. And what we're saying is the fourth quarter, some of these ideas are still relevant. Judaism, Zionism, a liberal democracy, we just need to a little bit renew them to remind people that they are very relevant. And some of the ideas need to be updated because Israeli society is going through a change. And like in business, companies that do not renew themselves according to the changing reality will not exist. Same thing. So that's one angle of the problem definition. The second angle is the global phenomenon in Western democracies of the collapse of trust. Trust is the willingness to attribute good intentions to one another. Okay, let's say that again. That's really super important, right? So trust is the willingness to attribute good intentions to the other. Yes. So I mean, that's America is a complete collapse of trust. All we see, we see their data. We, when I was the CEO of Maoz, and Maoz still deal with it, we have, uh, Maoz has an R&D, a research and development that has to do only with trust. What globally we see in the indexes, what do we see in Israel, what's the field shows us. And it's very, very, very uh, uh, self-evident. You see in the past 20 years, Western democracy are in collapse of trust, of the willingness to attribute good intentions between citizens and between citizens and institutions. Now, we want to focus on Israel, but I just want you to say a couple sentences because I think it's fascinating. Why is trust evaporating across the world? Three reasons. They're global. That's what we tell Israelis. In Israel, they're typical, typical to Israel, but three reasons. Demographic changes, technological changes, and economic changes. I can say a word uh, about each one of them. Please do, yeah. Demography. Let's take Israel, but it's all, all around Western uh, countries. Once Israel demography has changed dramatically, let me give you the numbers. In 1960, according to the National Statistical Bureau, in first grades, 61% of the students were in the secular uh, uh, um, first graders. 24% were in the rigid and Zionist schools. 9% were in the Arab schools. 6% were in the Haredi schools. 2017, the 61% become 39% secular. Religious Zionist, 24%, everything, everybody thinks they rise. They're down to 14%. They're down, they're down. Somebody is on a rise. Arabs were 9%. They're 24% in first grades. Haredim. Orthodox were six, now they're 22. That's going to change. That's in 2017. Arabs going to go in 15 years down to 21%, 20%, and Orthodox will go almost to 30, 32%. Now, the mere definition of what is a state, let alone the state of Israel, is totally different between these groups. Without an Israeli story, some kind of anchors that will create the Israeli story, we will not attribute good intentions to one another. Okay, just give us an example, really one quick sentence, how each of those four groups tells the story now. I tell people, go, if you, because people argue with me, what does it mean? I say, you know what? Go in Jerusalem day, in Yom Yerushalayim, where we celebrate in Israel, 
to schools from these different systems and come and report to me what do they celebrate? So in Umm al-Fakhim, it's an Arab school, they don't know that there's Jerusalem, of course they won't celebrate it. In Bnei Brak, it's an Orthodox school, they don't know it's Jerusalem Day, they don't care that it's Jerusalem Day. In, uh, in Ulpanayim Petah Tikva, I don't know, the religious, the religious Zionists, girl, the religious girl they school. will talk about Harabayit, they will talk about the uh, 67 uh, uh, victory. They'll even put the kids on buses and take them to Jerusalem. Yes, and they will go and they will celebrate. And in Tel Aviv, I was there to see, they talk about the city of peace, if they even mention it. Take the day of the assassination of Rabin. It's a, it's a, it's a memorial day. Like in America, there's the uh, 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 memorial days. In Umm al-Fakhrim, they won't mention it. In uh, Bnebrak, they won't mention it. In the Upana, they found out that Rachel, our mother, that's the day of her, it's true, that's the day uh, uh, when uh, uh, she passed away. So they don't mention mostly Rabin, they mention Rachel Imenu. Rachel, the biblical personality, yes. a long, long time ago. But yeah. research shows that before 95, they didn't celebrate it to that degree. So uh, they found a way biblically to make the day important without talking about Rabin. Yes, and I think some of them admit it, some of them don't. You come to Tel Aviv, you get a week about the assassination of Rabin. All of these are indications that actually the demographic changes. This was not interesting, what I mentioned right now in 1980, because Israeli tells me, but it was always was like that. I said, yes, but in 1980, the proportions were 4% Haredi, 15% Arabs, and all the rest were close to one another. That's the collapse of the Israeli story. They won't be trust without it. Then go to the second reason is technology. Because of the echo chambers, we live in different realities. So not only we don't meet in the school systems, we barely meet already in the army. People tell me the army is the melting pot. It's not anymore. 47% of Israelis every year now go to the army. 53% don't do the army. So that's Haredim don't do the army, Arabs don't do the army. And others. And what percentage of Jews are not doing the army? I don't know. Uh, I don't, know, don't want to mislead. But remember, most of religious Zionist uh, uh, girls. girls don't do. Right. Uh, more, and more, more and more seculars don't do the army. Still, the percentages are very high and impressive. But the changing demographics, this is not a melting pot. This is, not, this is one mean of a melting pot, but it cannot be the answer. And so you get the echo chambers, and we dif- live in different realities. And that's, you know, as an historian, I want to say this phenomenon of echo chambers is going to be, in hindsight, something in, 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 in a level, in a magnitude that I think uh, might, might even destroy Western democracies. Uh, the system has a very hard time to work on these parallel realities. You know, when I go to parlors, so in one Shabbat evening, uh, Saturday evening, I was in Eli. That's, uh, how would you, how would it's you describe it? a settlement it? across the Green Line, yes. not far from Jerusalem. And then the day after, uh, in Ramat Sharon, very liberal crowd. I came back in the evening uh, and every night and I barely see my family and I tell my wife, this is depressing. Uh, so she tells me why they don't agree about the solution during the, the, the hype of the demonstrations. I said, no, I don't care about the solution. They don't agree about the reality. <laughs> the, these people are saying the reality is this. These people are saying the reality is this. So that's the second reason of the collapse of trust. And now, technology also, by the way, because in social media, it also encourages us to kind of diss people without a hell of a lot of facts, right? You could just... That's, that's a phenomenon. Maybe I didn't explain it. That's a phenomenon. 
Uh, in other words, it's not only that we're living in these in these echo chambers, but we can comment about the other echo chambers without really having any serious conversation. Yeah, let me give you you know what two short examples so yeah. so our listeners will uh, will know. Let's one 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 example is in the second or third week of the demonstrations, there was the awful terror attack on Friday in Jerusalem. And on Saturday night there was a demonstration in Tel Aviv. The demonstration with probably a hundred thousand people. I saw it. Probably 90,000 Israeli flags. Very, very nice. There were probably 70 Palestinian flags on the site. The Israeli... Uh, uh, the minister of um, public... Uh, I don't know. She's supposed to tell Israeli story. I don't even, yeah, I don't okay. know, what, I don't even know what, the, what it's called in English. <laughs> so she published on her Twitter, she got a picture only of these 90 flags. And she said, look, on Saturday, on Friday... Israelis were killed because of this flag, the Palestinian flag. On Saturday night, Israelis demonstrated to support that flag. Which was, of course, ludicrous. But, but if, if I'm, I am a youngster, a right-wing youngster that sits in Ofakim in the south of Israel, and I read it, I hate these people. Or I can give you another example from the other side. I have a friend, she's a part of a group uh, of mothers that demonstrated. And then on the day of the demonstration from right and left, there was on Twitter a lot of tweets about La Familia. La Familia is like the extreme, uh, very, very violent, right-wing, almost fascist, uh, very small group. But they have a lot of, uh, they have a very high profile. They go to Beit Yerushalayim soccer games, they march in the protests. They are violent, so people are actually scared of them. They're very violent and they're very scared. But there were tens of thousands in the right-wing demonstration. And one in the group of my friend, of people from the left, the women from the left, one of them published... Look at these people, a picture of these, as of the, all the right wing. Look at them. They're awful people. They're very bad things. My friend said, but why are you insulting them? Many of my friends are there. She didn't mean in La Familia, the, the large demonstration. Right. She was kicked out of the group. Really? Yes. And she's left wing. She's that. So the, these echo chambers are destroying trust. So even if you just say that the right is not La Familia, it's just the right in the left, that's crossing a line of some sort. Because you have to think of the right as la familia. Why? Because people are fed from right. their feet that that's the reality. Right. And the third thing is economy. Technology has created extreme economical gaps. And we know there's a correlation between the willingness of people that are poor to attribute good intentions to institutions or to others and the level of their uh, uh, economic mobility. So this combination of demographic changes, technological changes, and Economic changes are a threat, per se, to Western democracies. So we said, guys, we see that. We see the phenomenon of fourth quarter. What don't we understand here? We need to rise up beyond what is going on here and understand that this is a train that will crash. But this is an opportunity because actually we are prospering. As you said in the beginning, we're saying Israel is in the best situation militarily, economically. And the human resource here is exceptional. So let's take it and let's go on a journey and fix fix Israeli uh, uh, politics. But not I'm not going to fix it. You're not going to fix it. We tell people the following. There's a problem, a deep problem. You are a part of the problem. We are a part of the problem. But good news, you can actually be a part of the solution. But for that, we need now a, a new perception on uh, reality. And that's where the fourth quarter comes in. Yes. All right. What's the plan? You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. 
Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.